Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Sucha Kumar, who goes by Primal Yogi on social media, is a 500-hour experienced registered yoga teacher and is also a primal health coach. As an entrepreneur, she runs a business called Live Blist, through which she hosts animal-based retreats and movement workshops around the world. Sucha was raised in an Indian family primarily eating pescatarian, up until age 18 when she decided to eat a vegan diet. She spent years combating disordered eating, mental health, and hormonal issues before finding carnivore. After about four years on a vegan diet, she began reincorporating animal foods and dove into the carnivore diet, which healed several aspects of her life. She now takes a primal approach to nutrition and living, with a focus on women, regulating hormonal balance, healing disordered eating, and creating a deeper connection between people and their food sources. She has made several media appearances, including an appearance on the Carnivore Cast with my great friend Scott Maslinski. You can find her on social media, on Instagram, at primal.yogi, and on YouTube, at Primal Yogi. Sutra, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Katie. Absolutely. It was so fun to go back and listen to a lot of your appearances on other podcasts, including we just mentioned the, the podcast with Scott Maslinski. He was the one that reached out to me and said, you have to host Sucha. She's amazing. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, there was zero vetting process whatsoever. If Scott says he's got a good guest, we're, we're going after that guest for sure. Um, but over the years, it was really funny to kind of hear your content and the things that you were talking about three, four years ago has changed quite a bit over the years and how... Um, difficult of a situation that that may have been. There was one episode I was listening to from 2019. It was the fall of 2019, which first of all, it's always funny to go back to podcasts from that era to say like, what are your future plans? It's like, oh, I'm going to travel a lot in 2020. Like, "Uh, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. Um, But also talking about how big a plant-based diet was for you and how much that helped you and was part of your life. Can you talk about your kind of story as far as interest in health and nutrition and how you eventually found a plant-based diet. Yeah. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. And yeah, to jump into it, um, my approach has always been like, I love trying all the new things. And I know a lot of people are maybe similar to my mentality. Like if I am going in on something, I definitely feel like I want to go for the extreme. Right. And after like here and there and, and trying out everything, I've definitely been able to find more of an equilibrium, but I'm still to this day, figuring out what that is. Um, my initial interest in the, um, vegan diet or more plant-based approach was just, you know, for sure, all of the media that's kind of misinformation, um, put on us as far as like, you know, just black and white. If you eat meat, that's bad for your health. If you eat meat, it's bad for the environment and all of that. And first and foremost, my biggest interest was the environment. And specifically before I learned about regenerative, it was very like sustainability focused. So that's initially what really drew me in and gave me the motivation to commit to like such a strict vegan diet. So what things did you notice with your health? Initially, there's that kind of period of time where going plant-based is so much better than the crap that most people are eating in a standard American diet. It sounds like your family was eating somewhat healthily before, but what health benefits did you notice from really doing what you said, committing to a vegan diet? 
Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, my parents were definitely on the healthy side. They probably didn't have the education as far as like having protein to be such a big part of our nutrition. So that's probably why I was maybe like having cravings and different things growing up. And I had kind of some binge eating throughout high school and early college too, which we can get into. But um, throughout high school, um, I was like drawn to more of the pescatarian diet and then like eventually got into the vegan diet. Um, as far as health, like initially, and this is like years before, before I really was understanding and feeling like I was being health, um, just like a lot of us, it was very like appearance and physique driven. So for me, I just really wanted to cut weight. And before I even understood what being fit means, like for a lot of women, the stereotypical thing that we aspire to be was like not even being fit, it was being skinny. So at that time, I was just like fighting my genetics. And I was like, I want to be skinny. I want to do everything I can. And that either means cutting calories or when I heard all this information about meat being bad, I was like, all right, of course I want to cut that out. And coincidentally, even though like really good quality red meat and other types of meat is some of the most healthiest foods in the world, that same meat that is incorporated into the standard American diet in forms of like burgers and other processed meats and foods that ends up being like some of the most unhealthiest foods. So for me, I was like, Oh, I'm taking out meat. I'm taking out all this unhealthy food. And I definitely saw results as far as weight loss. Um, but as far as like negative effects, it wasn't like really clicking to me until like two, three years in where I was like, oh, wow, like this is not really making a difference with my skin. I saw a picture of myself and I think I was only like 20 or 21 years old, but I had like a lot of space in between my hair. Like you could see my scalp and I was just like, am I just losing hair because of stress? Wow. Um, a lot of bloating that I just normalized. Like I just didn't even realize. I thought that was just a given. And I was like, I'm taking proper, um, you know, stools in the morning. Like that's fine. But it didn't occur to me that the bloating was not normal. Um, gut issues. And then also like also coming out of that, I realized like even like libido and sex drive and just hormonal health was really, really lacking at that time. Wow. That's so interesting. And and with, with veganism in particular, there's, there's this huge community, right? You feel like you have a shared purpose. You're doing the right thing for yourself, the right thing for the planet. Like you mentioned, what a beautiful thing to have in, in hindsight, you can look back and say like, wow, the, the group of people I was with was maybe also suffering with a lot of the same things. So not only did you start your company, which was an initially plant-based, you yeah. also were part of that community for so long and setting up your retreats. And But besides that, you spent time at a supplement company that was also plant-based. And so is it something you can look back on and say like, wow, this is a cohort of people all trying the same thing, feeling this amazing, amazing sense of commitment and passion and suffering. People very emotional or suffering with all the same health issues. Is that something you noticed? A hundred percent. So like for sure, I, I don't like go so far to extreme and be like, you are the people that you're surrounded with. But for sure, if you have like a motivation and a purpose, the people that you're around, if you're able to share that, it's like more motivation. So it's, you, you, I mean, I experienced most of this as a chunk in San Diego. That's where I feel like I really became an adult when I moved here at 19 and I was starting to really get all into the vegan lifestyle and also fitness lifestyle. But when you have so much of that around you, it's just like, 
you would feel it's harder to even think of a life otherwise. So I remember when I was vegan, I was like, this is the lifestyle for me and I'm going to be like this forever. And I'm really cautious to also monitor myself, even though I've experienced carnivore and animal-based approach and primal eating, I'm not limiting myself and being like, this is for me and I'll be all, although like just based on my studies and ancestral health, which is a totally different approach to what I even dove into as a vegan or plant-based person. Um, that gives me a lot more meaning and insight into why this diet is working so well for me and so many others. But yeah, a hundred percent to answer your question, like when you're around those people, not only does it feel more uh, motivational, but those are like the friend groups. So at that time it was like all my friend groups, we would just all, it was just a given. We were all going to go to a vegan restaurant, which makes it so easy. I would find it hard to like, say, I want to go to a barbecue place right now and then still have those friends who are open to it. If they can't literally eat anything or vice versa now where I go to a vegan restaurant, I'm like, I just, I don't want to go. <laughs> you know, There's like no reason for me to go. So, um, yeah, it's difficult. And then there's definitely like that guilt and, um, shaming. And I didn't realize like how some of them could be pretty cruel. Like I didn't realize how intense that community could be after coming out of it. Wow. No, I, that's a story we've heard over and over and over. And even us, you know, we don't have a big show or a big following or whatever. And we put stuff out on YouTube and I get the, the, the funniest comments from people that they don't even bring anything. They just say like, you're stupid or this is dumb or your guest is dumb. And it's like, what didn't you like? Let's, let's have a discussion. What, what can we talk about? And it, it never goes anywhere. It's just like insults. And it's so funny. We interviewed um, Leah Keith, who wrote The Vegetarian Myth, a wonderful book. And she described near her house, there was a bakery. And every afternoon, all the vegans would gather there at 2 p.m., you know, a few hours after a meal. They'd all be starving. And they would buy these, like, sugar cookies with more sugar on top of them. And yeah. emotionally, like, you could be in there at any time when, the, when they were there. And at least one person in the store, in the bakery, would be crying at any given time. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I just remember like, even though, you know, at the same time that I went vegan was the same time that I was like really getting into the fitness industry and, and, and studying macros and studying bodybuilding and just like really, you know, being all about it. But, um, I would track everything and I try to track calories and fats and proteins, especially the proteins. And then I've always been on the like lower carb side. I've never been a big grains and rice person, but that was a struggle being plant-based because I was essentially trying to do a little bit more of a keto version of plant-based. And I'm like, how are you going to do that without like overdosing on nuts and seeds essentially? But I was always like, it wasn't like stomach full, like my stomach would be full and bloated, but there was this like never ending, like hunger for something that my body was craving. And then I always tell the story, but when I had a bite of my first ribeye steak, I was like, I feel like I ate for the first time. Like it was crazy. Everybody says you can just feel the lights coming on in the brain all of a sudden. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. 100%. If you are able to have a productive and meaningful conversation with somebody who practices veganism or a plant-based diet, that you have to be careful because the, the conversation switches so quickly. Like we'll, we'll talk about health and then all of a sudden it's about planetary health. And it's like, whoa, 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 we can talk about that, but that's a different thing. Or then it goes to ethics and it's like, okay, th that's a fair conversation also, but that's a different thing. They, they jump around to try to confuse the conversation. So I want to be mindful when I ask you this question in that 2019 podcast that I heard, 
heard, you said that at the time the, the animal agriculture was really destructive and you had, you had some studies that you could back it up. And, and again, like if I ask a vegan today what they think about that, it's just going to turn into an argument. The most productive way I can learn about those kinds of things is asking former vegans. It, the conversation never got to that point, but what, what would you have said at the time? Like what were some of your arguments to say like, you know, animal agriculture is terrible for the planet? Yeah. So are you asking as far as like, what would I have said as like an animal based person right now? No, to... back, back then when you were plant-based, okay. what were, what yeah. were some of those scientific arguments you would have had? Right. So it's really interesting because now looking back, I'm like, wow, my approach to eating a plant-based lifestyle was way more like emotional and just based on headlines versus now where it's like way more based on science and, and truly humbling myself. Like it's so easy to get, um, like clinging onto an identity. And so to a certain point, like, um, being plant-based or even being carnivore, like a lot of it, those labels are going to be really focused on like your identity. And so, um, it's, it's hard to like, let yourself be humble enough to like, um, step away from that and then be okay with it. But I think at that time when I was plant-based, I was so attached to it. Also running a business that was focused on plant-based eating. And then everyone around me that I felt like, I think I've said this out loud. I was like, I feel like even though I don't want to be plant-based or vegan, um, like eating vegan all the time, I feel like this is the sacrifice I have to make for the earth. And this is like how I can create strides in the community by like setting this example, even if I don't want to do it all the time. And it was like this big, like obligation that it felt like, but as far as arguments, I remember specifically, I had someone who messaged me as far as my Instagram post where I'd share a lot about plant-based eating. And they were like, Hey, I really appreciate like, um, you know, everything you share, great points, love the content, super polite. But they were like, did you know that, you know, um, there's an alternative to like cows can actually be really beneficial to the earth. And to me, and now I understand why a lot of plant-based vegan people have this mindset. It was like, I just didn't want to hear it. Like anyone who even triggered or like challenged my belief system in plant-based being the way I was so triggered by it. But so I was just like, I don't want to talk to you or like, I don't want to hear it at all. I was like, definitely not like a militant vegan, but I was just very closed off to hearing anything otherwise, because obviously as a human being, you have these beliefs for some people, it's religion or diet or a way of exercise or whatever. And when you believe in it so much, and when you feel like it's like healing or something that you're a part of, um, you know, you don't want that to be challenged or taken away from you. So, um, with those studies, I mean, obviously there's all those like media studies on red meat being bad, but now looking back, I'm like, all those studies are based on meat being in the form of like a hamburger with fries or hot dogs or processed meats. So they aren't even really valid studies. Um, so uh, there's that book called The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Tischoltz, I believe is how you say her I last should, name. Yeah, she's and amazing. that was like, yeah, that was like a big um, mind opener as far as studies go. But yeah, I mean, as far as like responses back, like I don't even think I had something really scientific. It was based on media. It was just like, Red meat's bad for the environment. 
and it's bad for your health. And, um, you know, even agriculture, like it is true that factory farmed animals that are crowded together, that's horrible. It's like horrible for the animal and horrible for the environment. It's just, you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know there was an alternative to regenerative and same with plants. It's like, now I'm like, same with plants, like you can get organic regenerative plants or fruits if you're still eating those from farmer's markets or wherever you're sourcing. But there's monocrop agriculture, which is just as bad, if not killing off more plant and animal species. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much for that really thoughtful answer. And thank you for being so authentic and vulnerable about, you know, the, what you were thinking in the past and, and what you were thinking today. We already mentioned Leah Keith and she, she talked about like how it was so hard for her brain to, to wrap around the things that she didn't want to talk about. What about all the animals that die in agricultural fields, growing plants? What about all the insects? What about all the bacteria? What about the plants themselves? Plants are alive. Plants are smart as shit. Like they're amazing. And like, where, where, where does the killing start and stop? Like taking a cow, is that any different than killing a hundred mice? Like it just, it just whatever you want to wrap your head around and accept and be okay with. So I think that's a really interesting point. I want to know when, when was it the time that, that the kind of house of cards started to fall and you knew you needed to start to incorporate meat back in? Um, when was that? And what was that like for you? It was very accidental, but I also think it was very organic because for me, like I mentioned, I was always like environment focused and I've always had this pull towards like reconnecting myself and people around me back to our ancestral roots. So I was, this was about three years ago now, I had actually gone to India to do my 300 hour yoga teacher training. I also spent a few months there. So I was also training Muay Thai in Thailand. And then I was like, just living in India, spending time with family, um, and teaching some yoga there. And at that time, um, especially in Thailand, it was like, uh, you know, morning training, evening training It's like almost five hours of training a day. And in countries like Thailand and India and many other Asian countries, like rice is such a big part of their culture, but I didn't do rice. Like I, I just cannot, I was never able to eat such a big amount of grains. So I was really resorting to like veggies at that time, but there was also like, there wasn't like much tofu. Um, and if it was, it was like the spongy watery, like more natural kind, not like the kind that they sell here where it's like high protein tofu. And then I had brought some protein powder with me, but I was there for months and I was like, I'm not going to fill up my suitcase with all this protein powder. So I was kind of forced into like being face front and being like, the vegan fitness life you're living is artificial. Like all of the things you're eating is only available in a first world country. And like, not even just a first world country, there's like several states and cities in America that I've driven through where like all of these things are not available. It's like Southern California and big, like certain cities where a lot of these things are available because there's that vegan culture or fitness culture or whatever. So I was like, I had to put that in my forefront and I was like, so what do people eat? And that like led me to start asking myself, like, what is it in our primal roots? Like, how are we drawn to this? And then being in India, which is where my family originated from, they don't even have a lot of like lush green leaves or broccoli or Brussels sprouts. It's so humid there that those types of vegetables don't even survive. And all that I was taught was like, these green vegetables are like, you have to have them to have optimal health. And I'm like, but how does someone living here, how can they have optimal health if these vegetables like don't even exist naturally here? So 
And Thailand is where I like finally just had to give in because there was literally no other food options. So that's when I had found a like a cafe, little like hole in the wall restaurant, such a small town there too, outside of Chiang Mai, Thailand, um, where I started having omelets. So eggs were the first thing that I incorporated back in. And I was feeling like so much guilt, but it was really fueling me for like those really long days. And then in India, dairy and ghee is actually a big part of their culture. And in the small villages that I was at, I know here we have all those labels like pasteurized, ultra pasteurized, A2, raw, organic, like all that stuff, but you could almost like, if you're in a small village, you could probably trust that most of the stuff you're going to have is like raw organic and all of that. And you see the cows grazing in the grass. So, um, I started incorporating dairy very resistantly, but a lot of like ghee and more butter. And I was feeling fueled and great. And when I came back is when the pandemic hit, like right as I was coming back from travels and, to finish this transition off, I was spending a lot of time at home and I was like, just really wondering. And I was like, am I going to go back to eating strict vegan? And I was trying that for a while, but I was also just like, I just felt really curious. And I was like, I think I want to try like salmon. Like this is a food I grew up on that I really, really loved. Like I was really loving salmon and it was probably because of the fat and the omega three that I wasn't getting. That was like such a bioavailable source. I was incorporating some chicken, but wasn't still like a big fan of chicken. And then finally, um, like got a taste of like actual red meat. Cause I hadn't even ever had steak in my life until like age, uh, like 23, which is pretty crazy. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. I'm imagining this like railroad that has two trains like coming full speed ahead at each other. And one of them is like, not just your beliefs it's your business it's your life it's all the people you know and then you've got this other train heading towards it that's like this is what the reality is this is the truth how what how are you able to to do that we talked to several ex-vegans and it's like yeah they had to leave the community and that was challenging enough and they lost all their friends and people talked a lot of shit about them and said terrible things but this is more than just that for you this is your entire business how how are you handling this yeah. So one thing I will say now, looking back that I appreciate about myself. So I went to college for uh, like two years, but I actually didn't finish, but I did take a biological anthropology class and it was like the class that just lit me up the most. I did like probably the best in the class in that biological anthropology class. And I was like, so drawn to it to this day. I still like dive into the textbook, but the reason I bring that up is for the longest time, I didn't consider myself like a nerd or like someone who was into studies because I was kind of like that rebel Indian kid who wasn't like going to like the greatest university or anything. However, I've always loved like nerding out on these things that I'm like naturally interested in. So, um, basically, I mean, especially as I was transitioning to animal based, I was like, there's no way that I can just dive into this like blindfolded and just intuitively go into it. Although like we should really trust our intuition. So I was just ordering every single book, everything possible and listening to all of the podcasts, um, everything on YouTube, like YouTube was my best friend. And I was just trying to learn so much about 
um, you know, the benefits of meat and how this could actually deliver nutrients to myself. Um, you know, and I was like really looking into the environment and I slowly was like picking up maybe, I think that's the beautiful thing about social media recommendations is I was like slowly picking up on this term regenerative agriculture, but it was still like, I mean, still so many people don't know what it is, but it was even more like rare, like two years ago or a year and a half ago. And I just was like, oh, this is so cool. Like grass fed finish. Like, what does that mean? And so I was really trying to dive into that and looking into companies to source from. And so the more research I did, I think that's what really allowed me to go from the extremes and gave me more life in transitioning. Um, I'll say one thing. I mean, the transition was hard because I've been open about it and really transparent about it in social media. Um, definitely. Like when I first started transitioning, I was like, do I feel comfortable putting this on my Instagram story? And then I slowly just put it, put it on there more. Cause I was like, this is my truth. Um, but I got some like pretty intense comments and feedback from people that like we claimed we were friends back in the day during the vegan time too. So definitely this process was like a huge sign of like who my real friends were and who I wanted in my community. But with that, every time someone would be like, this is really bad for your health or this is really bad for the environment or like you're horrible because you're doing these things. At first I took it personally. And then I was like, you know what? I was on speech and debate team throughout high school and college. Like this is my forte. And I'm not just going to debate with you emotionally. I'm going to research it up. So I started queuing up like every response that I would get. I had a response. Like if someone talked about the China study or someone talked about whatever in the um, game game changers documentary or whatever, like I had have a clear scientific response of like, what, you know, what was my reasoning? And that process actually instilled a lot more conviction in my decision to eat this way. So that actually really helped, you know, that metaphor you gave of the trains, like almost coming full force towards each other. It felt challenging, but I was like in that awareness of like, this is building like who I am as a person. So it felt good. That's amazing. Yeah. I think the two of those things I I respect so much. First of all, that you did deep dive into the research. It must've been interesting to learn from like legit science and research and compare it with what you were learning before with like the bunk, you know, science, quote unquote science. It's just headlines and pictures and is so misleading and to have people coming after you the way that they did so hard in the beginning, that would almost be fuel to the fire for me to be like, wow, I don't really want to hang out with these people. I know people in the carnivore space can be dogmatic and they have certain ways that they view things, but I certainly have not seen a single carnivore that I can say that I've come across that has anything negative or bad to say, or hasn't been totally, totally helpful with anything I've needed or any questions that I've had. I think so too. I mean, like, I think people who are in the carnivore community to do something so extreme and against like what society has been pushing on us. I think they understand the community in general is that like, they probably each had to go through so much to finally get to carnivorism or animal-based eating. So I think they understand, uh, we can say we understand that like anyone who's even curious about their health or on their journey, they, if they're meant to, and if they're truly committed to like finding their truth, they will probably find a way into a more primal approach to their nutrition um, and not so rigid. I think like 
doing diets or, or like transitioning, it goes hand in hand to the inner work you're doing on yourself as far as like awareness, ego, um, you know, letting go of identity and shedding like all of those like life things, even in spiritual terms that we talk about, I really think it's hand in hand with diets. Um, so that's why I like to even incorporate like the primal yogi component because yoga is so philosophical. It's not just a movement. And so in yoga, you can say the goal is something called moksha, which is freedom. And so if the goal of yoga is finding your freedom or finding your truth, then part of that is like going through these different diets or going through these like different communications with people. Yeah, I could not agree more. When I tried carnivore for 30 days back in April of 2019, the thing that surprised me the most, I've talked about this a lot, was my connection and spirituality was upgraded to another level that I was not expecting to walk around and appreciate the change in seasons or to, to look at the birds and feel connected to the lake by my house. Like I, I did not have those things to the level that I did after I started carnivore. And I love and appreciate that to this day. My spirituality is far higher and greater than before. And, and you're right. I do think that is very much connected to nutrition. And it's interesting too, that we put all these things kind of in separate boxes. So there's the yoga stuff, the, you know, the vegan stuff, you've got carnivore, you got primal. Were you surprised as you were kind of jiving those two worlds, especially yoga and, and, you know, Indian history with primal, were there things that surprised you that like jived really well between those two things? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think like, it just made so much sense. Like, I think like when we talk about like all of the random things that you're interested in life, like all of the pieces of the puzzle start working in together and meshing really well. Like I think, um, the simplicity of animal-based eating and the discipline that it could take the letting go, these are all like big philosophical foundations of yoga, um, detachment, um, consistency and creating kind of like almost a ritual for yourself, um, not allowing like what other people think to like, you know, intrude in you. Um, a lot of people, even if they're plant-based are so disconnected from your food. And I think like my authenticity and like being so committed to this path of like finding the truth allowed me to get way deeper into this lifestyle that I, that I couldn't even, even imagined because I, um, I, I, you know, I started getting interested in regenerative agriculture and I was eating like a strict carnivore diet for several months last year, which I think was like an incredible practice to eat basically essentially like one ingredient. Like I was just eating red meat for months and like you are going to inevitably shut off yourself from all of these distractions, all of these things that society has that are trying to spike your dopamine levels. And that all goes to say, like, it's not something that I wanted to or had the intention of staying in forever, but I created a baseline for myself and it was super, super healing with that. Um, but when I say I didn't even realize how deep dive I was going to go into this lifestyle, when I moved to Florida last year is when I really got like interested in farming and figuring out like the regenerative approach to ranching and animals. I moved back to San Diego. That's where I am now. And I had just had no idea that even something existed here. And I came across perennial pastures ranch at a farmer's market and fast forward now, like eight months, nine months, I'm working with them in a very like involved way. And so 
like, I think you'll love this, but basically like a few months ago and we do monthly events, I'm teaching yoga on the regenerative ranch with the cows. We're cooking up a regenerative meal with the meats. And then we're also taking people on ranch tours throughout the entire ranch to teach them about regenerative ranching. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like manifestation. This is what all the spiritual things are teaching you. I'm like how this didn't even exist before, but it was really cool to be able to create that. And I was like, you're doing yoga on the land where the cows are essentially like pooping. And if you dove into regenerative, it's like you realize how healing actually cow dung is for the environment. And, you know, you're able to like move and get in touch with the nature have the sun in your face and then eat on the land from where your food is raised. I'm like, that is the entire like yoga approach to life. And people are really disconnected. I was saying like, even with veganism, like they're like, oh, I'm doing so good because I'm eating plants. Do you know where your plant came from? Like I was definitely shopping plants in bulk at Costco because that was like the most efficient way to get organic like vegetables. Um, And I was just going through so much of it. And uh, you you become disconnected. Even people who are like eating meat, like there's a lot of people who are like really not like getting in touch with like, yes, this was an animal and you don't have to avoid the fact that this animal had a life. It's actually embracing that and being like, thank you so much for nourishing me because I'm able to feel so fueled so I can do more good on this earth. So it's like that full approach and that's really what yoga is. So I felt like all of those coming together, I was like, this all makes sense now with the animal-based eating, the regenerative space, and then the yoga. That's beautiful. I absolutely love that. What a cool experience. You'll you'll love this. I I, I walked into my um, I've got a local store here that's mostly plant-based. It's funny to see like how the butter selection is getting like squeezed out. It's like half a shelf now, and now like all the margarine, which we don't even call it margarine anymore. It's plant-based butters taking up more and more space. But every few weeks they'll have eggs which are like a day away from expiring, and they'll mark them all down to like a dollar a dozen for like really good quality eggs. So I go in there from time time to time. And it, it just occurred to me as I was walking in, it said farm fresh produce on, on the big sign walking into the door. And I'm like, great. I am in the suburbs of Salt Lake city in October walking in and I could buy papaya and mango and oranges and limes. Like, I'm sorry, that's not farm fresh produce. Right. Uh, To contrast that, the next episode that we're going to do, I'm going to make sure this drops right after this one is tomorrow. I'm going to be talking to a rancher that I just bought an eighth of a cow from and ground beef and seeing the pictures of their pastures and their farms and how their family loves and understand the cows and they get to know them. And like, they understand it's their food. It's such a different way of life. So what a beautiful thing to be able to incorporate the two of those. When I see, you know, yoga done really beautifully, we talk about like primal movement and, um, you know, we've been able to interview Mike Fitch who does animal moves. I know you're big into that. Those two things are not different. They're, they're ways that we move and express ourselves. And so, yeah, I think I, it's cool to hear how those two worlds kind of fit in together with each other. And and people think yoga, they think this is an hour long class, but yoga is an entire system of life. It's, it's much more vast than what most people realize. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and like a little session is like, there's eight limbs of yoga. So pranayama or breath work is one aspect. Meditation is one aspect. Asana, which is the movement, which is the everyday yoga is another aspect, but yoga is really like how you're living your life on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to like my purpose and passion and with more clarity. And again, it's like no pressure. We don't have to be so clear on our purpose that can evolve. But even with movement, you know, coming from a more like fitness approach or bodybuilding and 
Um, you know, I would say movements that are a little bit more rigid and I still love weightlifting. So I do that a few times a week, but I've been able to get closer and closer to something that is like a little bit more of an ancestral approach. And how can we move in a way that feels really natural or like hanging or, um, yeah, with animal flow, I did the training, um, with Mike Fitch, which was awesome. And being able to like move in that way is, is really, really beautiful. And then with nutrition and the way we, you know, um, talk and connect as a society. It's like that whole approach to it. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I did send you a video right before this to your Instagram. That is, um, Gandhi. If Gandhi took a yoga class, we'll make sure we tag it in the notes. It's super, super funny. Um, but anyway, I I do want to make sure that we cover a topic that you and I kind of talked about offline, which is your work with women's health, especially with like sexual health and libido. Can you tell us a little bit about your research into that world? Yeah, hundred percent. So I feel like this one's really important, but I feel like because it's kind of a taboo topic and not a lot of people feel super comfortable getting into it, it's just not like talked about as much and touched. So I did want to open up the space because I feel more and more comfortable to talk about it. But, um, you know, aside from like many other symptoms or things I was lacking in on the plant-based diet, one of the things that I just was like, kind of like, didn't think there was a solution to, or didn't even think to look for a solution or didn't think to like, be like, is something wrong with me is the fact that I had really irregular periods and a really low, like libido and sex drive. And I was just like, this really sucks too, because if you are like dating or if you're married or, or however you're interacting with people and wanting to like fulfill your sexual needs and even getting in touch with your own hormonal health, um, if you're not feeling like empowered and healthy with yourself about that, then that's really, really going to be hard to like cultivate that or create with someone else um, or even just connect in general. So there are, um, you know, a few specific points here. One of them I'll dive into. We talk about how, um, you know, in regards to ancestral health, um, we have our human brain, which is kind of like our prefrontal cortex and our animal brain, which is our hypothalamus and our hypothalamus or animal brain is going to be consistently looking for two things. One of them is food because we need food to survive and we want to have as much food as possible. That's where binge eating actually stems from. It's not always an emotional thing. It can just be our animal brain on hyperdrive, which can create an addiction. When we do something multiple times, it creates an addiction. Similarly, the same thing, just like food is also sex. And the reason why is not because like, oh my gosh, we're just like, so like such inappropriate human beings. It's because survival of the fittest innately, like humans were meant to procreate. And that is how you continue a species along. So it's literally wired in us. And that's why like also men and female defer a little bit, but we are wired to consistently be looking for that because that means survival. So you need food to survive and you need sex to continuously procreate and create more of a human species. Um, And regardless, if you want to have a kid or not, I think that is important for people to actually honor because just because you don't want to have a kid, it's great to still enjoy your sex life or, you know, dive into and explore your sexuality. Um, So with that, I think with the vegan eating, because it's just, you know, it's really not satiating you. You're not able to create um, a healthy hormonal balance for a lot of women I've noticed. And for myself as well, you might be in like a 
hyper-masculine drive. And I think it's really beautiful to be in both feminine energy and masculine energy. We need that balance. And I think the reason I was able to run a business and I'm able to get stuff done is because I can you know, use my masculine energy for that. But I'm also able to be kind of soft and more nurturing and be able to like put love into what I do with the feminine energy. Um, but when you are so depleted, like let's say, especially with the protein, you're not getting enough protein. And then with the fats, um, you know, especially that like saturated fat is so important to um, create a healthy hormonal balance. So when you're deprived with that, it's almost like your animal brain is getting signals like I am in starvation mode. So when you're not getting food and your body feels like it's starved, even if you're shoving vegetables down your throat, then your body is going to, especially for a woman, it's it's your body's so intelligent. Your body's going to know it's not safe for me to have sex right now, because if I have sex, I might have a baby and I'm definitely not prepared to have a baby. Like your body is literally not probably like not going to let you get pregnant or it's going to make it that much harder. If your body is not feeling satiated, this is why so many women who are wanting to get pregnant, they're like, Oh, my doctor said I probably have to have, you know, at least some fish or supplement with omega threes and supplement with protein or have like some more meat. Um, and so that is a really, really important indicator. So that's like kind of an overview. And then there's like definitely a lot of like little things to get into as far as like that healing process of libido, sexual health, regulating your period and hormones. Yeah. You mentioned proteins and fats as being so important for, for all of that. Which one do you find you have to work with women the most on? Is it the protein or the fat? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, so this is like a two part answer because for protein, it's usually like women aren't scared of the protein. They're super open to it, but they don't realize like how little their protein is. And I'm not into tracking unless I'm working with a client on like, Hey, let's just set like an overview. Let's see where you're at so that I have the information of like where to guide you. So that's the only time I have someone track and I'm not having them track calories. I'm just having them track, um, their like protein and then also fats to see where they're at. So with the protein, it's usually like they're open to having more protein, but they're just like, so like, and they're probably having less than 50 grams of protein. So to get them to even a hundred grams or hundred to like 120, um, they need to be okay with eating more meat fat. On the other hand, it's been so instilled in our society that fat is bad. And it's unfortunate that the fat in food, like the macronutrient fat is the same word as fat on your body. Like they should be two different words because it's so easy to confuse it. They're completely different things. So of course, when two things have the same word, it's like, oh, I'm having fat. That's going to make me fat. Um, and there's a lot of bad kinds of fat. So we definitely want to avoid those. But there's also bad kinds of carbs and there's good kinds of carbs. So with the fat, um, there's just misinformation. And so the saturated fat, someone looks at like a steak with the fattiness and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to give me heart disease. And I'm like, this is what I start salivating over. This is like ancestrally like this is actually like survival and not just survival, but it's going to put us in more abundance as far as signaling to our body because we feel so satiated from it. And it's going to allow us to feel so 
fueled for a long period of time. So a lot of people who are dealing with like cravings or even binge eating or like sugar addictions, like a lot of times going hard on the fat heals a lot of those. Yeah, I love that. I find with most women, they are willing to address the protein thing a little bit more than the fat thing, but it's in a way that it's more likely going to be like, okay, I had four ounces of chicken in my salad, so I'm going to go up to six. And it's like, "Mm, no, you should eat like 10 eggs or you should have like a full pound of steak and only stop until you really have like a strong aversion to the food that you were just eating that was delicious. Like all of a sudden doesn't look so good anymore. Now you know that you've really filled up and you've given yourself permission. It's kind of how I think about it to really go after those types of foods, the red meat in particular, steaks, ground beef. Is that what you found as well? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I first transitioned to the animal based diet doing like a lot of salmon and eggs and stuff. And I've almost like at the beginning of this year, I almost had kind of like a slight aversion to eggs and I couldn't eat them for a while. It was really interesting. And now I'm reincorporating them again and same with seafood. I love fish. I love salmon. I appreciate it, but I don't do it on the daily. It's more of like a treat as well, but the red meat is what just feels so good for my system. But it's so interesting. You mentioned about the aversions, like your body is so intelligent. It tells you how much you need. So that's why I don't even do the calorie counting is like, if you're just primarily eating meat as a foundation, your body's going to tell you when you've had enough. And, um, and that is like the most, that's true intuitive eating and intuitive signaling. And then same with like health markers. So health markers are like what's indicating you're in good health. So again, like regardless of someone deciding to have a child or not, you want to look at your fertility markers. So if you just care about your health as a human being, even if you don't care about dating or like having amazing sex, or if you don't care about having a kid, but for a woman, and there's like the equivalent to, um, for men, but for women, um, if you have a healthy period, that's a healthy fertility marker. It means that your body's feeling safe enough to have a baby. Um, and I'm obviously talking about women like pre, um, menopause. So it'll be different for after that, but I can speak on women for pre-menopause. That's what I've experienced in my life. Um, So healthy period, which looks like a cycle that's in sync. And there's a lot of like apps that you can use these days or even like your thermometer to track your ovulation. So doing that was such an empowering tool that, um, that was, uh, like healthy for me tracking, getting off birth control, and then just being a little bit more aware of like when my fertile window is, um, And we like disregard a lot of that because that's like such a big part of, you know, homo sapiens or just animals in general, but it's like such a shameful thing in society. So again, we don't um, talk about a lot and that's why I'm so excited and grateful for you to open up the space to talk about it. Um, And so that, and then the other thing is going to be like a good libido and then like good sex drive. So Um, there's obviously a lot of other things like more on a psychological and spiritual thing that could be blocking that. But as far as just feeling like drawn to, um, you know, that connection and that, um, like act that is very, very healthy actually. So for me, it's like, I hadn't even really experienced that for so many years of my life. So I didn't realize like what I was missing out on. And after coming out of that, I was like, wow, this is like, a really healthy thing that we need to be monitoring for ourselves. Um, so I, 
it's like pretty funny to like, um, to, to witness this in me now, but sometimes like after I eat as full on, like really nice steak, it's some of the times where almost immediately after I'm just like, wow, this feels like really good. I can feel like turned on or just like all the other things in a more like sex capacity, like, you know, using those terms. Um, so I think there's a lot to it and I definitely didn't feel like that on a plant-based diet. So I was like, very surprised. And I think, um, paying attention to those fertility markers, because again, going back to what I was explaining before, if you are having that high sex drive, that means your body is telling you, Hey, I'm really healthy right now. I'm healthy enough to have a baby. I'm healthy enough to like feel this attraction and this draw. So that means like, that's just a really good, healthy, uh, health marker. It doesn't mean like you're an animal, you're such a horny person. Like that's another thing that society is really shamed that I want to like, break the story of for people. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you being willing to discuss that. That can be a difficult kind of taboo thing to talk about. If you keep talking about it, I am going to recommend a business name for you. Uh, I, I'm going to require a commission for this. I thought of this earlier. Kama Sutra. What do you think? <laughs> I've had like definitely like a lot of jokes on that, which is <laughs> amazing too, because like the small tangent with that is like, you know, if you look at the ancient yoga scriptures, like yoga wasn't supposed to be like, don't eat meat, don't have sex, don't have any of these things. It was like, how can you be empowered to find your truth? Like while you're eating or while you're meditating or while you're even having sex, like how can you like find your truth and spirituality? And we'll, we can use the words like the divine, like how can you find that in what you're doing? So for me, it's like, even when I'm eating meat, like I'm finding more of my spiritual path while I'm eating. So it's just like so interconnected, but I love that business name and idea. For sure. <laughs> I'm going to take a commission, but yeah, you're right. We talked about it earlier <laughs> with, with yoga, but, but Kama Sutra is so much more than our Westernized idea that it's just sex. It's all kinds of things. It's very all encompassing. And a lot of people around here don't really realize or understand that. I do, before we leave the topic of women's health, I, I, I don't know if it's more prevalent in women than it is in men. I think it's kind of more of a hidden thing in men that have eating disorders. It certainly seems like it's more of a thing with women, but um, maybe not so great of a difference than society says, especially, you know, being in the fitness industry myself, you see it, you experience it yourself, and, you know, it's something you always have to grapple with. But the sugar cravings and the disordered eating somebody is going to look at a carnivore diet and say absolutely not you cannot take somebody who is prone to food addiction and and restricting and restrict their diet down to like a few foods like ribeye how in the world is that not going to trigger more eating disorders yeah, it's so crazy. It's like one of those things, if you just say it, it's like someone's going to be like, how does this even make sense? But for me, like I always talk about the animal brain and how you can signal safety to the animal brain. When you are in a survival mindset or a starvation mindset, you are signaling like survival and your fight or flight response to your body and your brain. And so when your brain is in survival, it's going to want to binge. It's going to want to emotional eat. Um, it's going to want to just like 
just crave it all. Um, it's the same reason why, like for men, a lot of men who are feeling like kind of repressed with their sexual desires and needs and aren't able to be doing healing. A lot of men can actually binge on porn. And actually I'll say for women too, like both sides, it's just a little bit more common as far as statistics for men. But, um, when you're feeling unsafe, it's really, really difficult to like heal your health in that way. So I know, yeah, it seems like pretty like crazy extremes, but when I was doing the carnivore diet, I did a full week of only eating ribeyes and I almost want to go back and like call it like a ribeye retreat. And it's something that I'd like to do again, honestly, with people. But if you think about the cut of a ribeye, it is like the most juiciest, the most tender. It's like the the king cut of steaks. And I think everyone has like their different ones that they like, but we can just say that one is like, you know, it's a solid piece. It's like a full on meal or even more than a meal for a lot of people. Um, it's also an investment. Like ribeyes aren't like that. I mean, for maybe some people, but I know for me and for like a lot of other people in the community, it's like not very budget friendly to be able to have a ribeye for every single meal. But we always like seek these different retreats or experiences or like external vacations. We're like, I'm, this is great. I'm treating myself. And we forget that so much of a treat can be something like fasting or even just eating like ribeyes for a whole week or a few days even. Um, and so what that did for me, I talk a lot about the mental health component and how it was healing, but I was basically signaling so much safety and abundance to myself and my brain that week because I was like, hey, I am not going cheap with you. I'm investing a lot in your health. I'm giving you the best food in the world for every single meal. And so what that was telling myself is like, there's no lack of anything. We binge because we think there's a lack of something because our body is in scarcity. And so we're like, oh, I don't know when I'm going to have it next. This is why like diets, like standard diets are horrible because your body, even if you're eating like, you know, a lot of food, if it's considered a restriction to your body, if it's communicating that way, your body is going to feel like it's restricted. So with that, um, really finding a way to signal safety to your brain is the most important. And that's actually the way that you're able to like break a lot of these disordered eating habits or limitations through eating this way. Um, I'm not going to like blanket statement and be like, go carnivore. You're going to heal everything because there are like people who are still going through this journey. And that's why I think just as much as the eating, there's a lot of like mindset work and inner work and spiritual work for a lot of people that they could work on to break these barriers. Mine's been like years in the making. And to this day, I'm still working through like a lot of things. Um, but when you're eating fat and protein in the most bioavailable source, and it's, uh, something that is so appealing to your eyes and your senses and delicious, you are literally creating so much safety for yourself. And that ultimately is going to be the biggest thing. So most everybody tells me that I've worked with and that I've interacted with that when they start to eat more animal-based and they're really satiating themselves this way, then their cravings just start to dissipate. 
And like the biggest thing I can say is instead of focusing on restriction, just focus on eating more of this kind of food. And then the rest will just gradually fall off. I love that. Yeah. Just energetically providing yourself with the very best food, I think is a wonderful thing. Again, energetically, psychologically to tell yourself and and show yourself that self-love. You mentioned retreats and you certainly host um, what look to be amazing retreats, including one that's right in our backyard here in Moab, Utah. Um, Tell us a little bit about your retreats your work with um, get, gathering people together and helping them understand healthy habits so they can then take back to their normal lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the pull to do retreats was just so divine for me because I'm, I, I love the virtual work and I love to do like videos because I think I communicate really well with video, but video is because that's like the next closest thing I can get to having an in-person interaction and connection with people. Um, and I do do coaching, but then when you do retreats, you're getting that like full immersion for a few days or for a week. So funny enough, like I feel like I had all of the same pillars. Um, the only thing that switched in my retreats in the past few years is instead of plant-based eating, I I now did animal-based eating. And I did, um, from a business standpoint, find it very difficult because there's like way less people or I'm, you know, I'm slowly building more of an audience and community in the animal-based scene to get a demand for like an animal-based retreat. But almost every retreat out there right now is like a plant-based retreat. But retreats have always been focused on immersing in nature. And that could include like cold water therapy and soaking in the sun and hiking and putting your feet on the ground. The next one would be ancestral nutrition and like really focusing on that ancestral approach, not just the type of retreat where you sit down and all the food served to you, like you're at a spa or like a resort, but it's like where people are getting in touch with their food. So in the most recent retreat, we actually had everyone like take turns and like learning how to cook meat over fire on a grill or like, you know, different variations of that. And then I like to call it like uh, movement fusion or primal movement. And that is really where I'm guiding people through these primal movements. Um, But we're also getting in touch with nature. And you'll find that a lot of the movements you're doing in a primal movement setting, you're also utilizing those same muscles when you're climbing rocks or, you know, trekking through a forest. Um, And then like that community connection, because I think it's incredible to do the solo work and take time for yourself for sure. And it's also super powerful to be around people who are like working towards the same thing. Cause you get to have those raw connections. So I want to open up the space just like for, you know, topics we dove into today, but opening up the space between other people to dive into those like raw, real conversations. So I've done a few different kinds of retreats. I've done camping retreats. We've done a retreat where it's a 72 hour fast. That's like a lot more like advanced retreat, but people are basically fasting for three days, but they're doing it together, which is super, super powerful. Um, And then the annual retreat, which we just did our third retreat in a row is in Moab, Utah. And Moab just feels like my universal soul home. People will be like, what's in Utah? What's what is Moab? And I and honestly, when I first went to Moab, I didn't even know that Arches National Park was there. I just had a friend living there at the time and he was like, just come, I'm gonna take you around. And I had just been working a bunch and I was like, I don't know what's in Utah. I'm just gonna drive to Utah. I just plugged into my navigation. I don't know where I'm going. It's like 11 hours from Orange County where I was living at the time. And I'm like, just going. And it was 
so healing for me. And I was like, I need to bring people back here, but I need to bring the right people back here. Cause it's such sacred, beautiful land that I feel like it all is just worked out really synchronistically that the people that have come to the grounded and Moab retreats every year, they're like the right people who really like appreciate the land. And, you know, we look at the stars. Moab has one of the darkest, um, you know, starry skies. You see the Milky Way galaxy every night if it's not cloudy. And then the red rocks there and just the arches. I'm like, how you just have to look at it and you're like looking through millions of years of history. And then, you know, just the land that we're able to work with and source locally with the meat and then, you know, any produce we're using and the culture there is really small town. So you're not distracted by all of the city um, pulls at you. So that's a retreat we do every year. And um, here and there, we do other retreats. We did a retreat in Miami last year, but um, I'm so grateful to be able to do these in-person immersions and um, continuing to like grow the community across the world is kind of the dream. And I'd ultimately like to do a retreat in India. So like bringing people back to the roots over there too. So that's in the, in the vision. Wow. I think after the pandemic, it's so needed to bring people together in that way who think in a like-minded way, you did just create a ton more work for me editing this episode. I now have to go back. And every time you said Moab, Utah, I'm going to have to cut in Phoenix, Arizona, go to Phoenix, nothing to see in Utah. This is, <laughs> we're doing, our own little thing. You don't need to come see us. <laughs> We're too busy as is. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so very much for, again, being so open and honest about your um, experience through all of this and, and talking about things that some people don't like to talk about. I think it's really important. So, Suja Kumar, where would you like people to go to connect with you and your work? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Um, So I'm on Instagram. It's at primal.yogi. And you're always welcome to DM me any questions, anything that you're interested in. And I've been a lot more committed in sharing more in-depth information and experiences on my YouTube channel. So that's also Primal Yogi, um, just with a space in between there. And it should come up. But I've really documented, I think, my process from plant-based eating to now a more animal-based approach. And even now I do different experiments. So I continue to just share like truthfully where I'm at, even if I get off track with my eating or what I'm exploring as a woman diving more into my femininity, like I share all of that. And then of course announce any upcoming retreats and workshops and events on my Instagram. Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. That that Your content is great, by the way, and it's so needed because I think people have this idea of perfection and they have to eat this exact certain way. And, and that's kind of what we throw up on our social media is all the best things about our lives. And to be able to talk about the things that maybe didn't go so well and getting back on track and getting sidetracked, I think is really important to talk about as well and very encouraging for people. So, so it's, uh, thank you so very much again for coming on our show. Really appreciate you and all of your work. And it was such an honor to host you here. Yeah, thank you so much, Casey. Have an amazing day. You too. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.
As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Boundless Body Radio.